0: Alive and kicking on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show newstalk.com, or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, did you know that Dolly Parton set up the Imagination Library to give free books to children in memory of her father who couldn't read or write? I'll be meeting the lady who has brought it to Cork. I'll be finding out about the power of community and giving back with Lorraine Toner, head of National Community Fundraising with Focus Ireland and hear from James who turned his life around with their support. And do you live to work or work to live? I'll be joined by Sinead Brady, the career psychologist who says the working world is broken. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, it was a big one this week. It was the third anniversary of my dad's death. And while I have absolutely made peace with his whole dementia journey in many ways, the grieving has been replaced with the odd memory that pops in from time to time and, of course, missing him there, here and there. But around the anniversary, you do tend to relive those last few days all over again. And one thing that I suppose I haven't really spoken about, because I know I shared it all with you on the show. I'm still really good at that we weren't there when he died. We had all been sitting by his bedside and we'd gone for some sleep and some food. And then we got the call to say he was gone It's just one of those life moments I would have liked to, of course, been there for. And you question, why didn't we take turns through the night? But look, as a friend said to me during the week, it's like you're a different version of yourself at the time. It's hard to truly comprehend what is happening. And I do know it's all about the moments before that that truly matter. But I am still sorry I wasn't there. And I was in the Abbey Glen in Clifton in Galway this week for a charity night in eight of Roosevelt's rooms who do incredible work for the families of those who experience child loss. And it was dinner, a few drinks and then a proper sing song in the bar with musicians, trad songs, the works. And there really is nothing quite like an Irish party. It's good for the soul. So it did take a few days to come back around, though, I must say, I'm not sure I recommend singing songs to the early hours on a school night Um, but I have no regrets and today is International Day of Persons with Disabilities and I was reading the Irish Times magazine their Christmas edition the other evening and I loved an interview with activist and presenter Paddy Smith who has been a guest on this show and he was talking about the sweet spot he finds with friends who neither fawn all over him to help him but they don't ignore his disability either And everybody is different in how they face it or feel about it. And another previous guest who I like to think has become a friend is Jack Kavna. And he's in a wheelchair following a spinal injury. And he prefers the term diverse abilities to disabilities. He doesn't want people to underestimate him and nor should they. He or Paddy, they're both extremely accomplished. Jack goes on to talk in corporates and be a motivational speaker. And Paddy has become one of the first people with a disability to appear in ad campaigns for festivals and beauty products, which is exactly how it should be. So the message is, don't stare, don't underestimate, but don't ignore either. Let's all speak up and strive for a truly inclusive world. You can email the show alive and kicking at dot com. Now one in six adults struggle to read and understand information, and one in four face difficulties with basic maths. These unmet literacy needs can lead to low educational attainment, reduced income, poor health, and higher unemployment rates. On Pust's Unlocking Life campaign aims to address unmet literacy needs in both adults and children. Grace Walsh is Oral Language Development Officer with Let's Grow Together Infant and Childhood Partnership based in Cork, a community-based prevention, promotion and early intervention programme on the north side of Cork City. She's part of the team leading Dolly Parton's Imagination Library's Introduction to Cork and she joins me in studio now. Grace, you're very Welcome.
1: Thanks, Claire. Delighted to be here. So tell us where all this began. Well, it all began with Dolly Parton. <laughs> um, so I'm working with Let's Grow Together and we heard about the Imagination Library firstly through our colleagues in the Childhood Development Initiative in Tala. So they first brought Dolly Parton's Imagination Library to Ireland in early 2019 and when we heard about it, we were so anxious to find out how do we bring it down to Cork as well. Um, so we launched then actually during COVID in late 2020 um, and on, on post sponsors all of the book delivery costs, which is incredible. So that makes our job a lot easier and it really enables the programme to exist. And what can you tell us about Imagination Library? So it's an incredible free book gifting scheme which Dolly Parton started herself back in 1995 in her hometown of Tennessee. She um, tells a lovely story how she was, I suppose, inspired by her own dad who couldn't read or write and she describes him as being, you know, one of the greatest people that she's ever known but she always wonders if he had been supported to read and write, what other dreams he might have been able to achieve. So she's really passionate about inspiring a love of books and reading and ensuring that all children Um, have access to books and can really start that journey of, um, you know, their early reading journeys as soon as possible. So what's amazing with the Imagination Library is you sign up, you can sign up from birth. So I have, you know, some parents who will send me a text and they have a three day old little baby who they want to start um, onto the Imagination Library. Um, And like the work that we do, it's all about prevention, promotion, connecting them with families really from the antenatal period to support language and literacy. And, you know, it's never too early to share books together. So, yeah, it's fantastic. So uh, children then graduate from the Imagination Library on their fifth birthday. Um, So it's that lovely kind of timeline and connection then with school so that they're, they're already, you know, well and truly on their literacy journey before they even get to school, which is fab.
0: And that's important, isn't it? Because we don't want to see
1: reading like it's sure. It's supposed to be something that can be loved. Yeah, yeah, fun and exciting and, you know, it can take you so many places. The OnPost campaign is, you know, unlocking life. And when you think about how many, you know, amazing experiences books can unlock for us. um, And, you know, for, for some parents and caregivers and families, books can be scary or intimidating or for those who do, struggle to read and write. Um, So the lovely thing about these books is, you know, there's so many different ways that you can enjoy books together with your children. So you can, you know, the pictures are gorgeous. So make up your own story, chat about the pictures that you see. You might pretend to be the elephant that's in the book. Um, So, you know, it can spark so many gorgeous interactions in your relationships. And there's so many ways we can share books.
0: Yeah, and definitely as a parent myself, life is busy. It can be really hard to get that one-on-one time and reading together before bed is something that we still hang on to now and it can be really, really quality one-on-one time that you can all enjoy. And I think people will be listening and saying, yeah, I can understand Dolly Parton's dad couldn't read or write because that was a generational thing, Mm. but one in six adults still struggle to read or write in today's world
1: here in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. So the campaign has some really lovely video clips um, of, you know, adults of loads of different ages sharing their kind of later journey into literacy. Um, So obviously what we're trying to do is kind of work at that prevention and promotion space but then there are lots of other services available for people who might want to, for whatever reason, haven't been able to um, engage in that literacy journey or struggle with literacy. Um, so there's lots of opportunities to start at whatever age and reach out and get some support.
0: What about neurodiversity and those who would struggle to read? Is, is that catered for here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's that, I think, you know, it's kind of how, how can you read a book? You know, there's no one right way to enjoy books and stories. It's about finding out, you know, whatever way you like to engage with books and material, you know, finding out what's right for you. And, um, you know, a lot of families even say to me, Cheapers Grace, are you saying my nine month old baby should be reading a book? And I'm like, absolutely not. But (laughs) But they can definitely enjoy a book and maybe it would be totally developmentally appropriate for your nine month old baby to have a lovely chew of that gorgeous board book. And she's getting her hands on a book. That's her starting her literacy journey. Um, So it's, it's really about whatever way you like to engage with a book, whatever topic you're interested in reading. You know, it mightn't be a book that you're reading. You know, there are loads of other materials that you might like to read and engage with. So I think it's embracing that diversity and we all have our own individual preferences and Yeah, that messaging around, there's no one right way to engage with with reading and writing and and books.
0: And there's a a lovely TV ad that people can look out for, um, for the Unlocking Life campaign. And those two words, you spoke about unlocking the imagination and going on a journey. But people who are struggling to read will really be locked out
1: of a lot of life absolutely when you think of and maybe we we might take it for granted a little bit you know how many times during the day are we utilizing our ability to to read and write to to just function um so some of those most basic tasks that people who can't read or write um or who struggle in that area you know how many barriers they face um so yeah so it is really about kind of that message that you know it's never too late and um you know support is available um, so to yeah to really you know yeah to reassure people I suppose
0: yeah and remove that stigma absolutely because I mean it's it's incredible that people mm. would hide that and yeah. it's almost impressive the workarounds people will find yeah. whether it's through not having access to literacy or having neurodiverse issues, yeah. that they will
1: find a way to work around these yeah. things. I mean, it is really impressive. Yeah, yeah. There's that kind of creativity and, but I mean, yeah, and it's hugely brave. Like some of those stories that people are sharing, they're so inspiring, Um, you know, against all odds, they're kind of, you know, it might be so hard to make that first call or to reach out and to say, you know, actually, this is something that I'm um, finding hard at the moment I'd love a bit of support um, or, and it might be maybe through children or grandchildren that they might even you know be inspired to kind of go on their own journey as well in terms of trying to um, support their own literacy development. So what sort of impact has the campaign had so far? So um, in, in terms of numbers what's amazing is um the, the the international imagination library which we're part of here in Ireland through Cork and Talla, um has surpassed 200 million books being gifted. So when I hear that that figure, it's 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 so lovely to think that you know we're we're our books in Ireland are part of that. So already this year we've delivered 50,000 books to children um, across the imagination library, and just the feedback that we're getting from families is incredible. Um, some kids might come back from preschool. Mam, any sign of the postman yet with my book? Or has Dolly forgotten about me this month? I, I haven't gotten my book yet, have I? Um I guess so it's just incredible. And like some of the some of the kind of words and sentiments that that parents and caregivers share. I remember a mom said to me, Grace, he's devouring those books. Um, and you know, people talk about you know just the impact it's made on their lives and that the whole house kind of gets involved at times and you know maybe the teenager is spot kind of looking through some of the gorgeous books and yeah it's it's just it's incredible and I suppose we don't want the first time you know that children are experiencing engaging with books to be maybe when they start in preschool or start in junior infants so to see some of the photographs that families send in of their babies <laughs> looking at their books you know reading in their own way the books is just incredible and you know people get in touch if if they're moving and they're saying, you know, is there any way I can keep connected? You know, we, we don't want to lose the books. We don't want to lose Dolly in our lives. Um. So, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And yeah, no, it's it is it's, it really leaves that lasting kind of feel good impression. Yeah.
0: And books can be a really good way to introduce new concepts to kids, mm. whether it be you know separated parents mm. whether it be same sex couples there's yeah. been all kinds of things yeah um you know history stories that can really inform and and, and educate in yeah. a, in a fun and accessible way in children's language
1: absolutely and there's a book selection committee who meet every year to actually choose the books per age. Um, and actually for anyone who, who can't access the Imagination Library, you can access the book list. So it's some really lovely ideas for, OK, my, my little one is under one. What kind of books might she be interested in? And some of those, the topics and themes that are shared are gorgeous in terms of diversity, cultural diversity. Um, yeah, you mentioned that about, you know, same-sex families. Um, we have a book, My two daddies is in the imagination library this year, Um, so it's gorgeous. Yeah, the material and the content and the topics that is, you know, you know, starting conversations or maybe picking up on conversations that is accessible and yeah, that everyone in the house can kind of engage with.
0: So I suppose the only question left to ask Grace is, have You got to meet Dolly Parton yet?
1: No, unfortunately. (laughs) I know. I thought this was part of the deal. (laughs) (laughs) But no, unfortunately. not yet. Not yet. Now, in fairness, poor Dolly. She's so busy. Busier than ever. So, uh, yeah, I could see why she probably hasn't had time. But, you know, she might come to Ireland. You oh, might come to court.
0: Yes, <laughs> I, I see it's going to happen. I'd love to see her in your imagination library. Where can people find out more?
1: So you can look on um, www.let'sgrowtogether.ie or theimaginationlibrary.com and you can search Ireland. I absolutely love it. What a feel good job you have, Grace. I am very lucky. I'm not really working nine to five.
0: <laughs> it's like work in inverted commas. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that's great. Everyone should find work that they love. Grace Walsh, or a Language Development Officer with Let's Grow Together Infant and Childhood Partnerships. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks a million. Coming up after the break, I'll be finding out about the power of community and giving back with Lorraine Toner, Head of National Community Fundraising with Focus Ireland and hear from James who turned his life around with their support.
2: Alive and
0: kicking on news talk. Now, Christmas is a great time to think of giving back, or as the new year turns, getting involved in your community can have a massive impact on your well-being. Lorraine Toner is head of national community fundraising with Focus Ireland, and she joins me in studio now. Lorraine, you're very welcome.
3: Thanks, Claire. Delighted to be here.
0: So tell us a little bit about your work.
3: Well, I work in, as you said, community fundraising in Focus Ireland, so I Head up a team of about eight people. We're based around the country. Um, the guys are professional fundraisers. And our aim is to help people out there that would like to fundraise for Focus Ireland and maybe don't know where to start. They're maybe have an idea and they'd like help developing that idea. So we're here to support people to get their ideas off the ground, um, help them promote the event, you know, look at logistics and the best way for them to organise an event. So I suppose a lot of people have come to us and they're feeling a little bit frustrated. You know, how can I help? You know, there's a homeless crisis going on in the country. We want to do something. How can we do it? So we make that happen for them. We have plenty of events that we we run ourselves that might be our on the move campaign or a light. Or if somebody comes and they have their own idea and they say, you know, I have a community and we'd like to run a bake sale, a monster table quiz, a large cycle. We help them make that happen.
0: And I think people have become a lot more aware now of homelessness, haven't they? And, and that it's not just somebody on the street because of the housing crisis. It has gone far more reaching than just the, the streets of our big cities.
3: Yeah, I think the, the old style or traditional view of homelessness is well gone. We know now that because we're, we're in the news every month with our figures, we hear it, we see it, we know it's families, we know it's individuals. We know there's 4,000 children that are going to be homeless this Christmas. And I suppose at the end of the day, I think people are realising more than ever, you know, how many paychecks are we away from not being able to pay the rent? You know, so it's it's no longer just the old style. This happens to maybe single men in Dublin. This this is an issue that is affecting 13,000 people across the country from all walks of life.
0: And we can turn that frustration and that, that want to do something into a, a positive. And it's a huge thing for our well-being to get involved in community, to give back. It really does light up our health and well-being.
3: Absolutely. And like, that's the joy of being part of a community is to be able to work with another. Like, I suppose what I've often seen over the years are communities that come together and it's all the skill sets that, you know, that get involved. So there's somebody who can lead the whole project. There's somebody that's great with money Somebody else knows everyone, you know, so I know how to get the keys of the hall or to get the book and whatever is needed. People take on all the voluntary roles and the social media aspect. So the, I suppose the sense of achievement that, no, you can't often get somebody into a new home. You mightn't be able to provide the advice, the right advice and information for them. But you're able to raise funds that allow experts and professionals to provide supports to people who are homeless so or experiencing homelessness or are at risk of losing their home. So that sense of maybe handing the check over, seeing a large group of people finish, you know, crossing a, a finish line, you know, the cycle all finishing up. Um, you know yourself when you've done something that's, you know, it's altruistic, it's not for profit, it's for good. You feel good. Um. Why wouldn't you? And we congratulate anyone that gets on board and helps us. And we like to share stories. And I know we're going to talk to James in a little while. Being able to hear from people who've had a lived experience with homelessness and being able to share that information with different individuals in the community and say, thank you. You've provided a way for us to give information to others who need help. You've provided funds that are, you know, helping us get people in a position where it's getting a little bit easier to keep their home. If people that need to get into a new home, Focus Ireland, that's what we're committed to doing. You know, our aim and our mission is to end homelessness. And it's with the help of people in the community getting on board and doing that with us. That's how we get there. We don't get there alone.
0: And you mentioned James there. He also joins us in studio. James, you're very welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. You've been a customer of Focus Ireland. Tell us a bit about the impact it made
2: on your life. Yeah, so I've been a customer for nearly 15 years now and it really changed my life for have being able to actually have an actual sh- foundation for myself to build myself up to where I am now. Like constantly going from, first of all, it was like rough sleeping like when I was the age of three to six, constant rough sleeping, constantly not knowing where you are and then eventually getting to um, uh, emergency accommodations and then finally into an actual house with Focus Ireland and it just got me to where I am now so I'm grateful for
0: it. And were there Christmases where you didn't have a home? We mentioned the 4,000
2: children this Christmas. Were you one of those? Yeah, so through the six years that, or five years that I was homeless I'd say there was no Christmas. Maybe if I was gone to someone's house but that's really it. Most of the time it wasn't like it wasn't a big fancy Christmas like there'd be barely any gifts or anything so.
0: Because there were times where you and your mum were in a car. That's where you'd be to,
2: to to sleep, to live. Yeah. And it's very hard to bring Christmas there. Exactly, it is. Especially with the cold weather. And at the moment with the cold weather, I feel terrible for any homeless person that's sleeping on the street. Because prob- I've seen the numbers of people dying on the streets just to this weather. And it's disgraceful.
0: And when you got that support from Focus Ireland and you got that foundation,
2: what has that enabled you to do? Well, first of all, it's enabled me to get an education, which I have now. Like, obviously, I'm not that big into mainstream at the moment. Like, I'd rather push non-mainstream skills because I left school at the age of 15 and then got into a non-mainstream skill. And I got finished my junior suit there like I would not a mainstream skill. I got all higher merits and merits and then eventually moved on to an engineering course, and then eventually moved on to working in Intel. And I wouldn't be able to do it without the foundation I had from Focus, and obviously non-mainstream, because mainstream, it, it wasn't for me. I felt like they kind of failed me because they weren't they weren't helping. Like, there's 30 people in the class, only 20 are listening, the other 10 are going in the same situation as other people. Could go into homelessness, could go into worse.
0: And that's your plan, isn't it, James? You would like to set up something that Mm. sort of funds more access to non-mainstream school, a different way to learn.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do at the moment. That's what I'm trying to build as much experience in education so I can start my own company that can focus on funding non-mainstream skills. And I met you at a Focus Ireland event recently. I could see that fire that you had to
0: to make change. And I know you've already invested a lot of money that you've earned into building something up and you just mm. have that spark. And if you hadn't got that support, I mean
2: who knows where that spark would be. Exactly. It would be hidden. Like most young people at the moment, like there's what roughly around maybe just under four thousand kids homeless they have lives, they have futures and they could be the next generation. They are the next generation. Not they could be, they are the next generation. They could be doctors and engineers but they don't have the opportunity because the position that they're in. And it does make a big difference to have somewhere
0: to call your own. I mean yes, emergency accommodation is a step up from the street but
2: everybody deserves a home, to be able to build a home. Yeah they do because um, at the moment with the uh, housing crisis at the moment it's disgraceful and even working class people are now on threat to they don't know what's going to happen to them because the prices are just rising and their paychecks not rising either so like like I'm a working class person at the moment and even that I'm seeing that the bills are crazy like and especially for someone that's not working class like someone that's on the doll that that's frightening for them so
0: yeah, it certainly
2: is tough. But as you say, Lorraine,
0: we can turn our frustration with the way things are. I mean, I, I I urge people to to vote for a start. And when we do get to an election, to 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 voice our opinions on this. And that's one of the only ways we're going to bring about change. But at grassroots level, get involved, get involved as a community. And you also have a beautiful campaign. Coming up, the Journey Home campaign. Tell us a bit about we that. We do, yeah.
3: Well, it's a nice, it's a cheerful and it's a festive campaign. So, it actually goes back to a project that was rolled out early in the earlier in the year. The Journey Home, where a group of lived experience ambassadors put together a, a photo voice exhibition, and they showed their photos and their journey home, and it inspired us to name our our campaign the Journey Home. So, we're going to have choirs and different musical groups singing at all the train stations across the country. So it'll be in Houston, Connolly, Kent in Cork. It's going to be in Colbert in Limerick and Kilkenny. So it's going to be very festive, very upbeat. Um, It's going to be the 22nd and 23rd of December. And it's really, it's just bringing a little bit of joy to Christmas. And we're asking people, enjoy the music. And when you see the book, it's donate, tap, drop a few euro in because I just want to echo everything that James said. That's what you're supporting. Like, where would that spark be if the supports weren't put in place? So by bringing this campaign, rolling this campaign out, we're giving people a chance to donate. We're, I suppose we're doing it in a way that's festive and it's fun because it's not, it isn't, homelessness is a serious issue. But that doesn't mean that we can't use our Christmas time for good, and donate and put our energy into that. And if you're passing through Houston Station, we're actually going to display that photo voice exhibition again, where there's five different um, ambassadors of Focus Ireland and you can see their pictures and their pictures of kind of standout moments for them in their life. And there is a narrative under each photo as well. So you can take a few minutes and just appreciate the journey that some people have made home through the supports of Focus Ireland, and really, and more importantly, through the supports of people in Ireland that have got involved and that have kind of mobilised their communities and done things to help in this crisis.
0: And what would you say to people then as we go into a new year who say, right, no, I want to give back a little bit more because we all get busy and I'm sure yeah. people have said that they'll do something and now they reach reached the end of the year and they never got round to it. Mm-hmm. How do they make it happen in 2024?
3: Yeah, I think there are like there are lots of options available. So you do get busy, so there's no point in saying I'm going to take on this massive fundraising project and I'm gonna do it with my fu- full-time job and the football training and the kids. So bring people on board with you. You know, if you'd like to do a large fundraiser, look at what's easy for you to do. If you're involved in cycling, organize a cycle. If you're involved in music, do something like our big bus campaign. If you're doing something on your own, you'd like to just raise money, you could come along on our Camino trek. On our website, we have a number of events that people can join in with, um, and we always have the option of doing what you would like to do yourself. So, looking at the skills that are around you, looking at at the people that are there to help, taking on something on your own, it's a you know it's daunting and it's difficult. We're there to help, but there's a lot of other people that are looking for ways to support Focus Ireland and help us provide services for 2024.
0: Yeah, and it's bringing people together, isn't it? It starts at a kitchen table with a few cups of tea with people in your neighbourhood and who knows where that can lead. And no doubt they'll be, you know, cracking a few belly laughs along the way.
3: That's it. And it does. And it leads to big things. It does usually start off quite small. And then you start talking to one of the local community fundraisers, so, for example, we have a lady, she's worked in Focus Ireland for the last five years. Once you start talking to Monica in our Sligo office, your idea will start to develop. It will get bigger. She knows people in the community and can match, match people together that can work on things and just take a little bit of the stress or the load off. Um, we have all you need to deliver a quality event. So where can people find out more? Focusireland.ie So it's as simple as that and it's really, there is a section, it says like get involved. We have all our events and we have a busy year coming up. We have a lot next year between the Ring of Kerry cycle, the Camino, everything else in between. And we're just dying to talk to people that want to help. That's our job and that's what we really want to do. And we get joy out of that. Like seeing a community or a solo organiser or someone that does something and it's impactful and they feel they've helped. And then they come back year on year as well. Um, so we all we all win out of this
0: I love that Lorraine Toner thank you so so much and James James will you come back when you're a big CEO of your not for profit new way
2: of learning for people yeah hopefully I can and hopefully I can spread the message out to young people that's not all doom and gloom that you can make yourself into success and don't ever think that you can't make your dreams come true because I've made my dreams come true
0: Love it. Thank you so, so much, James and Lorraine. FocusIreland.ie for more information. Coming up after the break, Why the Working World is Broken with Sinead Brady, the career psychologist. Alive and kicking on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, the career psychologist Sinead Brady says by resetting your relationship with work, you can take back control of your career and your life. She knows this because she did it herself, moving from the pensionable job to working for herself, where she now helps many others find a way of working that suits them. She's poured it all into her best-selling book, Total Reset, Quit Living to Work and Start Working to Live. And she joins me on the line now. Sinead, you're very welcome. Thanks, Claire. Delighted to be with you. So Sinead, people might look at the title of your book, Quit Living to Work and Start Working to Live and feel like that's impossible. We have bills to pay. We have responsibilities. How can we flip that switch?
4: And that's a really fair point and very important actually because there is at no point in the book or through the exercises that I suggest in the book that we, you know, that the idea that we have financial responsibilities and other responsibilities um, is abdicated. Like that's absolutely clear. So when we talk about your non-negotiables, the first thing we talk about is your physical non-negotiables, which is Ness. It's about nourishing yourself. It's about exercising. It's about sleeping. And it's about then having the energy to spend the time to spend time with people who make you smile but the very next level of your non-negotiables the first thing that we look at is your financial non-negotiables and we talk about how much money do you need to pay your core priority bills how much money is kind of nice to have and then financially what do you need to be able to have the luxuries so it's really important that we look at financial stability that's absolutely the pillar of security for each one of us it's food on the table it's a roof over our heads and we know that very much so in the cost of living crisis at the moment however it shouldn't be at the expense of being able to sleep being able to spend time with people I can have any energy to spend time with people who make you smile and um, so I suppose we've as a culture um, and if you take care the four-year-old who went to school and Sinead the four-year-old that went to school we've been taught from that very beginning to kind of work intensively. So if we just take it back a little bit and we think about going to school, you went to school, you did your day's work at school, and then you come home to your homework. So we've been really taught that actually it is work at all costs because we have been primed through our homework and through the way our school system is set up to actually work all day, take a little break, come home and do more work. Um, so it is very hard to get through that idea that it is work at all costs. But yes, we need to work to have financial security, but we also need to have meaning from our work. It's something that we spend about 40 hours per week doing, at least, between commuting and coming home for the majority of us. And we do deserve to have a life while making a living.
0: Yeah, and when you think about those four-year-old girls, all you're ever asked is, what are you going to be when you grow up? As if you're nothing without your career. And that's something in the book that you really tried to dismantle that we set up the working world in the 1950s and yeah. the way we work isn't suiting our lives anymore. So
4: it's research that was done in the 1950s with Western, educated, industrialised, rich, democratic demographics and they were mainly men. So about 90% of those people that were the research was done on was men. And it was done by researchers in six postcodes in the United States. So the representative sample is about 90% of the people are not represented by the sample. Only 4% of the world's population is represented by the sample. And the needs of the workplace is built on the needs of that 4%. So the way we think about careers, the way we perform our careers, is based on this myth of a world that was built in the 1950s. So one really really interesting example is when we think about our careers, we normally think about a linear progression through our career so at age and stage there are different things that we should have done by 20 we should have x done by 30 by 40 by 50 by 60 but then when we take a step back and look at more critical research and more critical um information that's emerging since about 2012 we actually know that as an adult you only reach cognitive maturity around age 25 So the idea of a four-year-old answering a question that actually 25-year-olds are not cognitively mature enough to answer just yet, you know, we don't think about, we're making conversation, but it's a huge, um, I suppose, responsibility to put on to a child. You know, what do you want to be in this future in 21 years' time or so? So there's 12,000 different job families, Claire, and within those job families, there's infinite more types of careers that we can choose from. So not alone are the rules that were that the world of work is built on evidence in the nineteen fifties. The way we choose and think about our careers has changed phenomenally since two thousand and ten. And that's so, why
0: I love your book and your take on things because y- you have that holistic sort of view and that that psychologist's view of things and really get people to stop and and ask questions of themselves and their career. Without work, who am I? And I think it's a question that can really bamboozle a lot of people, myself included. And you talk about physical non-negotiables and that's how we should assess our work. You talk about making sure that there's time for us to nourish ourselves, to move our bodies, to sleep, and then time. Talk to us a bit about time.
4: Yeah, so very often what happens when we're in the midst of work intensification and our careers, we actually are focused on the professional first. And we forget that actually to be and to experience our professional success and to enjoy our professional identity, we need to be physically well. And that's where the physical non-negotiables come in. And so many of us don't have the energy to spend time and to be present with people who make us smile. So if you happen to be sitting at home and you've got your children or people, anyone who makes you smile, your loved ones, it might be a pet, whoever or whatever it is that you feel connected to. If you find that your brain or your your hand is going to your phone um, to do something for work or that you're not physically and emotionally connected with the people that are in front of you, um, we don't have the energy to spend time with people who make us smile. And we feel that we are being pulled in all different directions and that actually we're missing out. And the reality is we are. If you don't if you're not sleeping, if you're not if you're not able to go to bed and sleep, if you're not and don't have the time to eat, and if you don't have the time to move your body. Now I'm not talking about ultramarathons or anything like that. I'm just talking about movement. Um, so there's there's really brilliant research actually coming out of DCU by Niall Moina that's saying we aren't moving enough. In fact, we are so stationary in our lives because of the way that we work that it's the equivalent of smoking. The impact is the equivalent of smoking on your health, which just is crazy. So we now need to pare things back a little bit, not just as individuals, because this is a societal thing. This is about how work works. And this is about saying, actually, if I notice that my people at work are not actually taking their lunch, I need to be kind of stepping in and going, is everything okay here? We really need you to eat because if you're not taking the time to eat, actually, you're not fueling your body for the performance that is work. And we want to mind you. So it's, again, this is an individual thing, but it's also about wider organization saying, we need our people to be rested. We need our people to be um, eating. We need our people to be moving. And we need our people to have the energy to spend time with people who make them smile because when they can do that, they will bounce back into our workplaces and our offices and it will have a knock-on effect because we'll be more creative, we'll be more innovative, we'll be more productive. And actually, we will be in a situation where we outstrip our competitors because we have a happy well workplace with happy well employees.
0: And you're really honest about your own life. You have for children, for career shocks. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. you know, your husband is, is self-employed. You took a jump from a pensionable job to working for yourself. And you, you say, look, there's people who live down the road from me who I get to see twice a year. Myself and my husband can't make it out for date night. So, you know, we we do something smaller at home. Um, so you understand how this works because you have lived it. And, and something you spoke about in the book, which I, I thought would... Resonate with people. Before you made that jump from your pensionable job to working for yourself, yourself and your husband sat down and really did a forensic on your spending and what was coming in and what was going out, right down to what you would need to make an hour to be able to survive. And I just think that as people, sometimes we just want to bury our head in the sand about these things. We really don't want to look and and, and be brave enough to do these things. It scares that us was, too much.
4: It absolutely does scare, and that was one of the hardest things that I have ever done because I don't like Excel. I don't like spreadsheets. Like I just don't, and I don't like kind of getting into the nitty gritty of that. Because and part of that discussion was and was you know if things are really tight, do we pay our mortgage or do we pay our health insurance? So I understand this from a practical perspective. The fear of making choices and decisions that don't feel like the obvious one. Um, And, you know, they're really hard, but then when you have the facts, when you have the information, when you have the data, it actually is less scary um, because then you say, okay, so if I know what I need to make an hour, I can then understand what I say yes to and what I say no to. So you can protect your yes and own your no. And that's very important. I mean, I could have been a very, very busy person from the very beginning because a lot of the things that I would have done would have been for free, um, for exposure and for all sorts of different things. But you kind of had to make a decision, when actually, I need this because we need to pay crash fees. We need to pay, you know, we made decisions about crash fees as well. We tried to work and limit our work so that we both topped and tailed each other so that we didn't have. Huge crash fees. We had just enough to manage. So these are really hard decisions. And they're not they're not even easy to talk about now because I still remember the feeling that we had as we were going through that process. And there were nights that we fought with each other. There's there's just no other way of putting it because we had different opinions on how we would navigate and negotiate things. Um, but at the end of the day, It was a choice as, it was our, my career was interdependent upon his at that point and his upon mine. And then we had dependence and we still do. So, and each time the baby came, absolutely it was a shock to our system um, and a shock to the routine and the pattern that we put in place um, for And as I talked to you today, I have a little girl with a chest infection and she's gone off to be with her grandparents. They're part of our support circle so that I can get a couple of hours' work done. Um, And then I'll go back to her. And the reality is I will have to work this weekend to try and get things, you know, organised, whereas, you know, and that's just it. That's the ebb and flow but you still have to protect your time and protect yourself and protect your financial stability.
0: Yeah, I think that will really, really resonate with people. What is the permission mindset?
4: Oh, so this is, we all know, and I'm smiling as as, as you talk about this, because we all know what a growth mindset is and what a fixed mindset is, but a permission mindset is often the bit that's missing in the middle of that. So a permission mindset is permission to yourself, from yourself, to question with curiosity rules or assumptions that you have about particular things. So for example, one that we will often have is, I have a permanent pensionable job and I should not leave that. That's a rule that we tend to have. And we tend not to question that with with any kind of, really get into it and say, okay, so what if I left? What would I need to do? Is this permanent pensionable job worth? my health and my well-being. Um, and it's about saying, okay, so what could I do if? And then it's about exploring your assumptions around that. Well, you know, I could do nothing. Well, actually, you could do lots of things. And, and what could those lots of things look like? Well, what are the skills that I have? And you begin not to say, well, what's the difference between a skill and a competency? But you say, okay, so what skills do I have? What transferable skills do I have? And um, How can I build those skills if I do want to move? What does a plan look like that is long-term and coming back to what you said, sometimes we can activate our permission mindset too much and go, I'm just resigning and I'll have no strategy for the next step. That's a really different, and if anybody ever suggests that to you, unless it is based on health grounds because you're really struggling from a mental health perspective, um, you really, really need to be clear that your permission mindset is not about going, I'm done, P45 in the hand and you run out of the office shouting. That's not good. You need to have a plan in place. And information mindset is about questioning the rules, questioning the assumptions and then saying this is what my exit strategy looks like. This is about breaking down the rules that I have about the roles that I play in my life and as I break down those rules, where could I kind of compassionately prioritise my next steps.
0: I absolutely love everything that you stand for. The book (laughs) is fantastic and it's a really easy read and I mean that in a complimentary way and it's it really feels like a personal development book rather than something that's really academic. It, no wonder it was a bestseller. It's called Quit Living to Work and Start Working to Live. And you will find Sinead on Instagram. She's at the career psychologist. Sinead Brady, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for a care. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aoife Breen and Hugo de Silva-Scott, who was on sound. And thanks to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking on News Talk.